Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, Lord, we, we ask that you would open our ears, open our hearts and open our lives. Lord, meet us where we are at this morning, we pray. Lord, we ask that you would encourage us, strengthen us, heal us, Lord, and most of all, that you would lead us, we pray. Amen. And kids, you can head on out to Treasure Seekers this morning. If you want to go, you can go out to Treasure Seekers, kids. That's our Sunday school out the back. Uh, you should have a fantastic time there. This morning, we're coming to chapter 7 uh, in Matthew. Continuing our series through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, a, a, a series that we've titled Kingdom Living. Because it's a sermon that answers the question, what does it mean to live in relationship with Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to live in the kingdom of heaven? Throughout this series, we've seen Jesus' teaching is showing us what it's like and what it means to live in the kingdom. In, in our first message, right at the very beginning of, of Matthew chapter 5, we have that title in our Bibles called the Beatitudes. And Beatitudes is the Latin you'll remember for blessings. Blessings. So in the beginning of, of this sermon that Jesus gives on the mount to the crowds of disciples, he starts with, the blessings and the blessings paint for us a picture of what it is like, what, sh what we should expect to see and experience and how we should expect to grow if we are living in the kingdom of heaven. We, we see a consistent theme throughout this sermon that Jesus has preached. That there is a tendency that we have as people to make the kingdom of heaven all about us. Yet Jesus reminds us time and again that we are not the center of the kingdom of, of heaven. God is. We, we see that time and again the world around us distracts us from seeing the bigger picture. We become consumed and concerned about the day-to-day -day things, the uncertainty of the future. Yet Jesus reminds us that our hope for eternity beyond the brokenness of this world that, that, uh, that we live in today rests in our Redeemer. We saw at the end of chapter 6, Jesus remind us to seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and then all the things that we need, God provides for us. Our confidence then, it's found through God's faithfulness, a faithfulness that we have seen woven throughout history and put on display for us throughout the Old Testament. God is faithful. He is gracious, patient, allowing us opportunity to come to him, to acknowledge our helpless state, to surrender our lives, our way, to seek and pursue God's ways. We've been reminded that Jesus didn't replace the law, and he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the requirements of the law, not so that we can ignore it and do away with it, but so that we can engage with the heart of the law. 
that we can engage with God's heart. And we can embrace it and live in it. Live in God's grace, His love and compassion with His gentleness and mercy. And that these characteristics of God would become woven themselves throughout our lives and our hearts. Several times Jesus has come back to the ways in which we slide backwards and lean more and more towards our own desires. As Paul puts it, the desires of our flesh. We look, looked at some of these a couple of weeks ago. We, we make our acts of goodness, our acts of religiosity, uh, purposed not for God's kingdom, but for our own personal edification and recognition. The way we serve, the way we give, the way we pray, Jesus points out how easily we make it about me about us instead of simply doing what is right or righteous to the glory of God in our passage today Jesus shifts focus a little bit from from examining the outward working of our faith and the motivations that drive us to reminding us that the person who needs to grow the most, the person who needs the most transformation in their lives is not someone else but me. As Christians, we have a tendency to develop an attitude that thinks that we're better, that we're, we're more righteous, more loving, more godly than other people. This week, I had uh, some wonderful conversations with my son, Isaiah, who's uh, moved away from home. It's a, a new season as a parent, uh, dealing with adult children and, and when they leave you and you don't get to see them most days, you don't get to have those conversations. But this week, uh, I had some wonderful conversations and it was a joy to my heart to hear his faith abounding all the more, his love for God abounding all the more. And as we spoke, we, we spoke around some questions of, of apologetics some questions you know, around that which Christians are often asked or, or statements that are often made about our faith by people who, who don't really know it all that well. One of them I shared with him was that, that, that had been presented to me was that all things change in life. There, there are new ways of doing things. We, we change the ways in which we, we go about things. But then he said, and you know, I guess religion's the same too. Knowing that, that I was a pastor, he said, you know, as an example, the Old Testament is very different from the New Testament. Now, if you've been listening to my preaching for any, any amount of time, you'll know that that's not true. That there is so much depth of the character and nature of God. And I've got to be careful here, otherwise I'm going to go on all day because I love this. As we dig into the Old Testament, we see God revealed in, in all of his goodness, his patience, his mercy, his generosity, his grace. God is not this big meanie in the Old Testament and this lovey-dovey, warm, fuzzy guy in the New Testament. He is the same. And when we see that in the Old Testament, it just magnifies what we see in the New Testament. So we were talking uh, about all of this and we were talking about the law in particular we got onto and, and and how we, we often look at the law of God as just a, a list of, of things that we need to do or don't do. The right way of living. And I said, 
you know, that's, that's one way to, to, to look at the law. And, and it's, it's, it's true. God shows us what is his righteous way, his holy way through his law. But if that's all we see of the law, we're only just scratching the surface. We're asking the wrong question. Life can be a lot like that. We ask the wrong question. The question that we should be asking is how is God revealed in the law? How does God demonstrate his love in the law? How does he demonstrate his grace and his mercy? How does he demonstrate the good news of Jesus through the law? And then we get this rich understanding of the nature and the character and the heart of God. But this idea of asking the wrong question, how do we evaluate our lives? How do we measure how we're going? You know, am I being a faithful servant of God? Am I following God well? The way we frame these questions, the way we frame our expectations, the way we measure ourselves, which happens very intuitively, intuitively and subconsciously, is like asking the wrong question. You see, the way that we do it is we measure ourselves against those around us. So compared to those around me, I might sort of think, well, I pray more than them. And I read my Bible more than them, so that means I must be a better Christian than them. Or, or we place ourselves amongst, amongst the world and the sinners in the world and, and the lost and the broken. We say, look at them. Look at how messed up they are and how much they do wrong, how deceitful they are, how, how they don't control their tongue. I'm far better than that. It's the wrong question. It's the wrong measure. You see, when it comes to the measure of righteousness, there is only one measuring stick, and that is God's righteousness. And we get ourselves into a spot of bother, we get ourselves, dig ourselves into a pit, because when we become like that, comparing ourselves to the world, we forget some fundamental things. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit to the bankrupt of righteousness, to those who, who acknowledge that I am no better than these. Paul is a man that we uphold, we esteem for his wisdom, for the anointing upon him that allowed him to teach so powerfully. The vast majority of our New Testament is collected from the writings and the letters that he have, had, had written to the churches. Yet even Paul says, of all of these, I am the worst of sinners. And this is where Jesus wants to hit, our, hit at our hearts today. How, how do we hold ourselves do we hold ourselves with our heads held high? Do we scoff at the world around us? Or do we approach each day and each person humbly, knowing that while they may be a sinner, we are too. And it's only by the grace of God we are redeemed. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Matthew chapter 7. 
And our passage this morning is going to be from verses 1 to 12. Jesus starts this chapter off with these words, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We must never forget that we do not belong to the kingdom of heaven through our own righteous living, but through the grace of God alone and the sacrifice of Jesus. The first step, as I mentioned, to coming to righteousness, to coming into that kingdom is to acknowledge our helpless state that there is nothing that we can do to undo the wrongs that we've done. There is no measure that we can take to gain and earn and achieve the righteousness required. That is by God's grace that we are forgiven. We are given the opportunity to live in relationship with God, even though our lives are far from perfect. God's grace allows us to live with Him now. Not just one day down the track at the end of, end of life. This is what kingdom living is about. Kingdom living is about both now and eternity. We have the hope that we live in relationship with the Almighty God, creator of the universe today. That He cares about our situation. He cares about our problems. That He has a plan and a purpose for the glory of His kingdom to be made known before the whole world. We see in, in 2 Peter that, that his heart is that none should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. God is at work, even in the most unthinkable of circumstances. In Psalm 24, David asked the question of who may ascend the hill of the Lord? In verse 3 and 4, this is what David, King David said, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and, and does not swear deceitfully. So often in our lives as Christians, we're, we're trying to ascend this hill of the Lord, and we stop, we look around at the people we live with, the people we live amongst, and we measure the righteousness of our lives by comparing ourselves to those around us. We stop thinking that we've arrived, thinking that we know all there is to know, that we represent the epitome of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Sounds pretty arrogant when I put it like that, doesn't it? It doesn't gel quite right and, and we don't do it consciously. These are, are little subtle things that we do and it, part of it comes from our need for, for security, need for identity, need to value ourselves. You see, we place emphasis on I'm worthy if I can do. I'm worthy if I can achieve, achieve a certain level of things or achieve a certain accomplishment. But the great news, the good news of the gospel is that we are worthy. 
because he loves us. You are worthy because you are loved by God. That is a greater value than you could ever attribute to your life, that you could ever earn. So we stop thinking that we have arrived. Sometimes we pay lip service to the ongoing work that God is doing in our hearts. That false humility of, I've still got lots to learn. But when it comes to the attitude that we take in the actions that we do, we're not open to change. We're not willing to be transformed. We're not willing to surrender the broken habits within our lives. We're not willing to wrestle with them, to battle with them, to fight with them. We're not willing to lean on God, to turn to God and say, as David did in Psalm 139, search me, O God, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And when we've done that, we have a tendency to criticize and critique and we don't show grace. We don't show mercy or compassion we don't show gentleness these things are essential characteristics of a heart that follows jesus deal with the log in your own eye don't judge others deal with what's wrong in your own life first Next, Jesus moves on and and in verse 6 we see uh, a change of tact again. Like this is something completely kind of, it it feels disconnected. And often when when you've probably heard this taught on or preached before, they're, they're done separately. Jesus says, Do not give to dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What is going on here? You see, Jesus is balancing, like like all things, there is this tension between these concepts. And and as, as mankind, we like to be more of a pendulum where we swing one way or the other. And so we're, we're told that well, you're not supposed to judge people. And so we, we don't discern. And this is what Jesus is saying, is that we need to be discerning. We need to humbly take care of what's wrong in our, our hearts. But we also need to be discerning. Discerning on, on the situation and the circumstance that we're in. It's a delicate balance to find and sometimes difficult to know how to engage best with some people in situations. And when it's simply best to stay out of it and focus on our own heart and our own shortcomings. I want to explain this a few ways. So... When a, when a farmer plants a crop, and I'm not a farmer, uh, but I like watching a lot of documentaries and see how they do it. I've been on a few farms, I've helped out on a few farms, and when they, when they go to sow a crop, one of the very first things that they do is they look at the condition of the soil. They consider the nutrients in it, they consider the water available. If the soil is not ready to receive the seed, they will not sow it. 
Sometimes it needs to be broken up and tilled first. Sometimes it needs to be fertilized. Sometimes they need to take care of invasive weeds. And sometimes the soil needs a bit of rest and rejuvenation. The same is true when it comes for us to, to share the gospel with other people. Not everyone is ready to hear the good news of Jesus. Perhaps their life is full of other concerns that, or needs that need to be addressed first. Perhaps they've been deeply hurt by people in the church. And they need to see that you can be trusted, that your faith is real and it's not just words. And maybe what they're waiting for, because they've heard a lot about Christianity and they've heard a lot of things from Christians before, Maybe what they're waiting for is to see, do you really trust the Lord your God? When you're, when you're worried about things in life, are you really trusting your God? Do you really lay it at his feet or is that just something you say to comfort yourself when things are out of control? Is your faith genuine and authentic or is it merely words? Maybe, maybe that's what they're looking for. Maybe that's what they're, they're waiting for. Maybe that's the cultivation that's required in that relationship so that the good news of Jesus can take root, so that that ground can be cultivated first. Some may simply feel that they have no need for God. Simply speaking at them won't make them understand the good news that we deeply desire to share with them. So we see that when Jesus says, don't throw your pearls before pigs. Don't waste your time and energy in ways that there won't be traction, where it won't be valued. There are people in our lives that have no intention, no desire. They're not in a place where they're ready to hear the good news. It doesn't mean that we give up on them. It doesn't mean we stop. It means that there's work to be done before they're ready to, to hear and respond to the good news. That's why we, we say in our vision statement that we want to share the gospel in relational and meaningful ways. We want to see the gospel take impact in relational and meaningful ways, ways that, that make sense, that have an impact. But the same could also be said of, of people within the church. You know, just because someone comes to church does not mean that they necessarily know Jesus or knows what it, know what it means to follow Jesus. There is a sad reality that many, there are many, many people in the church worldwide who are desperately lost and headed towards destruction. For some of them, they struggle to listen to the word because life is full of problems and hurts. For others, they struggle to listen to the word because it is difficult or uncomfortable. Not everyone is willing to surrender to, the, to Jesus and when the cost of following Jesus is laid bare before them, not everyone is willing to pick that up. The desire 
to wrestle with life, the desire to surrender to the passions, the surrender at the passions of our flesh to follow Jesus, the desire to pursue the heart of God. That is the sacrifice that God asks. We've got to be aware that there are people in our church who are not ready to move. There are people in our church who are hurting and need some care and love and grace and patience. There's often an expectation that we bring when we come into church that church is supposed to be full of perfect people who live with perfect righteousness. And if you've been in a church for any amount of time, chances are you've been hurt. Chances are you know the pain of dealing with with people who call themselves Christians and people who are Christians dealing with brokenness in their lives. There's a saying, hurt people hurt people. In other words, people who are hurt have a tendency to hurt other people. And as a church, we are concentrated with people who are hurting. And the best thing that we can do, as Jesus has already shown us, is to turn the other cheek. If you want a more Literal example, one of my favorite sayings, uh, ways of explaining this is hug a cactus. Hug a cactus. That's how we as Christians need to love one another. It doesn't mean that we don't address things that are wrong and, and things that are not right. We don't address the hurts that we have. But we need to do it with, with a heart that says, I will love you even when it hurts me. Because that's what hugging a cactus is. If you walk up to a big prickly pear and you give it a big hug, it's going to be hurting for days. But you go and you hug it knowing that it's going to hurt. That's a big thing to deal with. I don't know if you're feeling the weight of this series like I am, but it's... It's challenging and it's confronting and to to see that there is so much that we need to do, so much that we need to be prepared to change, so much that we need to bear with. How do we do that? Well, Jesus gives us the answer in in verse 7. Jesus said, Ask and will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You know, often when we read this passage, we we read only this passage. We take it out of the context of of the Sermon on the Mount. and, And it can be, and it has been taught, I've heard it many times taught, that it's basically, this is Jesus as your genie. Ask him whatever's on your heart and he will give it to you. Look for it enough in your life and you will find it. Pursue it by knocking on that door and you will get it. But it has a completely different meaning when we understand that this is embedded in kingdom living. Right back at the very beginning in the blessings, 
Jesus said that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the blessing is that they will be satisfied. Here Jesus is saying, don't judge others. Instead, turn that magnifying glass on your own life, the spotlight on your own life. Seek goodness for your own life. Seek the righteousness of God's ways in your own life. Ask me for that help that you need to be more patient, to be more gracious, to be gentle and merciful. And when you're frustrated and angry, ask me for that peace that that passes all understanding. See if I will not be the good father who gives good gifts. That's what Jesus is on about. When it comes to following him, pursuing him, he knows we don't have what it takes. We don't. We can't. We never could. That's why he came, he fulfilled, and he sent the Holy Spirit to be our comforter, our counsellor, our guide, to equip us for every good work. Finally, In practice, Jesus is saying that a good measure for things that we do, the words that we say, the attitudes that we carry towards others is to consider how we would like to be treated. Just pause before you react. Ask yourself, if I was in their shoes, how would I like them to address me? doesn't mean that you'll get it right every time. We're not perfect. But the more we pursue Jesus, the more we pursue the righteousness he has given us, the more we'll understand his grace and compassion and gentleness, and the more we will be able to live that out. Therefore, we should be seeking these things. And when we find ourselves falling short, asking God, seeking God, and knocking on his door to provide us with these wonderful gifts. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and and just in this moment, we, we want to acknowledge that we are humbled by your love. We are humbled by your glory, your righteousness, your capacity for grace, gentleness and compassion. Lord, we recognize that in all of these, we fall short. We fall short of your glory. Our humble prayer this morning is that you would lead us in your ways. Draw us ever more nearer to you, Lord, that we may be beacons of your holy, righteous love in a world that is lost, drifting, sinking. Lord, may they see and know the hope that is in us, hope that is eternal from you. Amen.